Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. For those of us at a certain age, things start to happen to our bodies. And some of us might experience symptoms such as moodiness, weight gain, low libido, night sweats, and yes, those are all signs that we are going through menopause or even perimenopause. Now, our next guest, Dr. Suzanne Femsky, is a breath of fresh air. She's very passionate about empowering women to take charge of their health, but also as a gynecologist to advise on our hormones and medicine that we need. Dr. Femsky's passion arose from her own personal experiences with hormones and health, and she really has become extremely renowned. So I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Suzanne Femsky. Dr. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No better way to spend a Friday. I love that you're here. We're going to be talking about the state of menopause, a subject that is often fueled with stigma, taboos, lack of knowledge. As I was telling you, both men and women listen to the show in a lot of countries around the world. And I've worked in in public health for almost 25 years now, and not once in that 25 years did I even hear the word menopause. Mm -hmm. Nobody was raising philanthropic money to help women in the developing world to get through menopause. Doctors weren't trained to be able to advise their patients about how to get through menopause in a dignified fashion. So I am on a quest. I'm on a quest to find and work with experts like yourself. And I'm thrilled that you've joined our body board at the body agency and everyone can go to the body agency and read all about Dr. Suzanne and her practice that's based in New York. But my first question to you is, can you just explain just very and simple non-doctory terms. <laughs> what is perimenopause and what is menopause? And do we stay in menopause for the rest of our lives? Because I think people think, okay, even if they have a basic knowledge, they're like, okay, I get perimenopause. That's the first part. Then I get menopause. But is there then something after menopause? So can you just sort of explain all of that in layman terms? Absolutely. So You know, menopause is a clinical diagnosis. It just means that you haven't had a period for one year. So really, it's it's actually technically like one day out of your life, right? You hit your anniversary from one year since your last period, and that's your menopause. And then kind of after that, the term that's used, generally speaking, is post-menopause. I don't love to use this term, but that is what's called. Perimenopause is all those hormonal shifts that happen 10 to 13 years ahead of menopause. And it's kind of like a woman's reverse puberty, right? We all know that puberty goes on for a few years before, for a girl, for example, her period starts. And then even after that, there's still developments and hormonal changes. And perimenopause is another kind of reverse puberty time of life. And it encompasses 
all kinds of changes in hormones that happen, even starting from early perimenopause, which most women and men don't know anything about. And in those early perimenopausal time periods, you have a drop in the progesterone hormone and our bodies make, right? We have lots of sex hormones. We have progesterone and estrogen and women also have testosterone, but progesterone starts to decline in that earlier stage. And during that stage, when you have this imbalance of more production of estrogen and not enough production of progesterone, you start seeing some changes in your cycle. You know, the cycle's always considered sort of that fifth vital sign. And you see that you can have heavier periods start to happen. Maybe the cycle gets a little bit shorter. Maybe PMS becomes a lot worse. Water weight retention, a lot of moody irritability. And I think that it's interesting because this is the time in our lives where we're so busy, like we're so caught up in work and kids and everything that a lot of us just tend to think that, you know, I'm just irritable and moody because I haven't slept well. So a lot of these symptoms are really sort of ignored or just kind of put to the side and assumed to be related to life itself. Later perimenopause, which we know a little bit more about and a little more familiar with, is when now estrogen hormone has started to decline as well. And the symptoms are really different, actually. You start skipping periods, or you skip periods for long periods of time. Hot flashes, night sweats, brain fog, vaginal dryness. These are all those symptoms that are more about late. So it's super interesting that this, you know, possibly decade plus or minus is such different hormonal symptoms. Mm. Now, it's a huge focus, the body agency for us on menopause, mostly because I'm the founder and, <laughs> you know, I, I'm at the stage where I'm going through, you know, all of that. And it was very concerning to me when mm -hmm. I went to my doctor and I just felt that they had no knowledge whatsoever. And the doctors that I worked with and the gynecologists were like, okay, I'm just going to sort of throw pills at the problem. As you know, I am a humongous fan of estrogen. Mm -hmm. And I do take a pill every single day. You know, it's a combination of pedestrian and estrogen. And because I did that, and because I did it during perimenopause, I sort of sailed through with no symptoms. Now, not bragging, okay? Because <laughs> I, I, you know, have a lot of friends who are, yeah. who are like, oh my God, Kate, you've got to help me. You know, I've gone off sex. My vagina feels like the Sahara Desert. Um, <laughs> I, I can't stop peeing. I have brain fog. Yeah. I can't sleep. I sweat through my sheets. I mean, these are all horrible things. So you are the expert. When should you start taking the treatment, the medical treatment, the hormonal treatment in order to avoid these symptoms? Yeah. I mean, I think you did it right and you got really lucky in doing it right. But even in symptoms of early perimenopause, there are some hormones you can add back in during that time to make it a better quality of life, right? To really ameliorate the PMS. And during early perimenopause, you can even consider starting progesterone. And then later in perimenopause, there is, there is kind of this misnomer that you're supposed to wait until that one year anniversary mark, and then you can start your hormones, but you can definitely start hormones in later perimenopause using the estrogen, using the progesterone during this time to make it better. And the bottom line is this, that it covers, I like to say it covers the bottom, 
right? So there are certain months when your estrogen levels are going to be enough because maybe you ovulated, you're having more of a normal cycle that month, and you don't have all those symptoms of perimenopause. And then the thought process is, well, then why are you on hormones? You don't need it. But it kind of covers the bottom. It doesn't turn off your ovaries. Your ovaries are still going to do what they're doing, but it always gives you kind of a lower level baseline coverage of estrogen. So when you do drop down, which for example, with you, you never really experienced it because you still had that, that reserve, that estrogen reserve from the pills you were taking. So I think that definitely in late perimenopause, if you're considering hormones, it's a great time to start it and at least makes it sail through a little bit better. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is start the hormone treatment as you start to maybe miss a period or two, right? Mm -hmm. Go and see your doctor, ask them for their recommendations. Are there any non-traditional methods that, you know, I know a lot of people don't like taking pills, right? Mm -hmm. They will avoid it at all costs. Are there other things that people can do that I know they probably won't work as well? I mean, that's just because I'm a fan of estrogen. But is there anything else you would recommend? Yeah, I think it's fascinating that, you know, so many different cultures kind of come up with some solutions to the menopause symptoms. And yes, you know, most women, despite what we were formally taught, most women are candidates for hormone replacement therapy. But there are some women who either A, don't want to, or B, really do have a contraindication for it. And there are options for everybody. And that's so important to really hone in and know that there are always options for management of your symptoms. And there are supplements that have been studied and researched and looked at. And it's interesting because, you know, you have, for example, like Dong Kwai, which is obviously a Chinese herb. So in that population that's been used in the past to manage, you know, hot flashes and symptoms of later perimenopause, you have to be cautious, right? Supplements, I think, I mean, obviously I'm integrative and functional, so I, I love my supplements. I think they're an important part of everything, but you do want to make sure that you're working with somebody, or at least you, you know the supplement well enough to know whether or not you have a contraindication. Like for example, Dong Kwai, right, can cause heavier bleeding. So when you're still cycling and you're still getting your periods, if you're someone who has fibroids, for example, or adenomyosis, these conditions that cause heavier periods, that might not be the right supplement for you to take to help navigate perimenopause. And for years, you know, women have used black cohosh. The, to be honest, the, the data is a little bit controversial. You know, there's, there's studies that support it and show its benefit. And there are studies that show that it didn't. So the bottom line is that oftentimes with supplements, we need more studies, you know. Yeah, I really went into this because at the body agency, we wanted to both give the option of seeking out doctors like yourself uh, for consultations who really know your stuff. But we also wanted to offer, you know, Ayurveda. Ayurveda is traditional, non-traditional Indian medicine that has been around for years. And it's all based on herbs. Mm -hmm. Herbs, as Americans would say, but I'm sticking with herbs. I say herbs. I'm sticking with my herbs. herbs. Yes, herbs. So, you know, there's things like turmeric, and it's basically putting different herbs together, teas and things like that, that can really help with your symptoms. And they swear by it, right? And so we've done a lot of research into that, and you can see it all at the body agency. The other thing that we felt was needed and we have it on the site, it's called the Happy Hormone Kit because, you know, we also do believe in certain supplements. We believe in, you know, it's it's little things like I, I took a mission trip to um, 
Myanmar to Burma and I took some philanthropists there and one of the ladies was going through menopause and she was just sweating. Literally, you could see it coming out of her face and she was bright red. And and so we decided to put like a cooling spray, you know, in the Happy Hormone Kit and then cooling breast pads because, you know, I mean, we're getting into details here, but basically, you know, under your bra, you'll start sweating and you can put one of those pads underneath. That sounds lovely. Um, Yes, yes, the Happy Hormone Kit, yeah. Um, In fact, I think we're going to try and give them away at the event that we're doing together in April to the people who, who come. But we really thought about, okay, you know, not everyone is as lucky as me and avoid symptoms. Like, what can we do to give women the dignity that they deserve? I mean, look what we have done with our bodies over the years, right? We have gone through periods. We have gone through fertility. We've gone through pregnancy. We've gone through childbirth. I mean, our bodies are our temples. We shouldn't just be cast away Mm -hmm. just because we can't have babies anymore. Like we need to be honored and loved and cared for and have self-love through this transition that we're going through. So we come up with this happy hormone kit um, as a lovely gift for your mother or whoever who's going through menopause. So I would love to know, Suzanne, from you personally, you've set up Tara MD, you're based in New York, you have a thriving practice and your speciality is menopause and you're a, a trained certified gynecologist and you're actually very well known. You've worked with a lot of celebrities. And the thing that I actually, I love a lot of things about you, but what I love is that we've sort of developed this little clan of doctors and experts uh, like Esther Bloom, who really care about getting this out there. And there's so much work to be done. But why did you want to be part of this clan and one of the leaders of this clan? And why did you decide to do what you're doing? Oh, great question. Uh, So, you know, I went initially into gynecology because I love women's health. You know, I was actually between plastic surgery and gynecology and plastic surgery because I had this vision, you know, of going to other countries and fixing cleft palates. And I just realized that I love women's health so much that, you know, I could imagine easily day in, day out, reading about, talking about women's health. So I chose it. After I finished residency, I actually did a two-year fellowship in laparoscopic and robotic surgery and really specialized and kind of niched myself out into endometriosis and fibroids pelvic pain issues. And along the way, and you've probably experienced this, right? Along the way, I had this thriving practice in a wonderful academic institute. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is kind of crazy. You know, this person has had, you know, three myomectomies to remove fibroids. This person's had four laparoscopic surgeries for endometriosis. Something is really wrong. This can't be the only way to take care of women. Just cut, just cut. So I just got really curious about being more comprehensive in our approach to our bodies, ourselves, our health, which led me down the wonderful rabbit hole um, of integrative medicine. So I studied with Dr. Andrew Weil for two years and got double board in integrative medicine. And uh, I've always been sort of a growth-minded person and just love to learn. So because of that, I decided I wanted to kind of dive deeper into root cause analysis, uh, which led to functional medicine. 
And while I was doing it, thinking initially, this is going to really help my pelvic pain patients, my endometriosis patients, I just sort of realized that my perimenopause patients, you know, and my abnormal hormone situation, like PCOS patients, really, really, really needed this as well. Because it's the same thing, you know, with that perimenopausal transition, most women have the experience of either A, being completely blown off about it, or B, they just don't bring it up, period, to their doctor because they don't want to, or C, they're given the birth control pill, right? And not really dealing with the elevated cortisol levels and the metabolic changes that happen during this time and really optimizing how they feel, how they feel about themselves during this time. And so I just became incredibly passionate about it and utilizing, you know, all of my training to really optimize this time too. Mm -hmm. And you're really big into advocacy, aren't you? Mm -hmm. You have identified some famous people. We will not mention their names, but they're very much out there, which is wonderful, right? Because I've worked with celebrities, a lot of the same people that you've worked with who really care about these issues. And it just makes enormous difference because, you know, celebrities have this sort of weird reputation of being like superhuman, right? They look 25 years old. They, you know, have perfect bodies, perfect lives. They're on social media. Everybody wants to be like them. But the bottom line is, and and the official term for it is social mobilization. When you get a celebrity to be vulnerable enough to talk about what they are going through. And, you know, right now I feel like Naomi Watts is who I've met and who's so lovely, doing an amazing job at putting it out there and being vulnerable. And, you know, we have so much stigma as women attached to how we look, you know, our aging and even our fertility, like our our ability to function as normal women. And, And I feel like lately there's been this explosion in a good way of thought leaders and influencers, you know, coming out and really talking about these issues you know, you bring up fibroids. You know, when I was, I had to have fertility treatment because I was 42 when I got pregnant with my my little girl. And during all of that fertility treatment, I grew a fibroid as big as a cabbage that my daughter couldn't get around when she wanted to come out. But the point was, is that my pregnancy, which I loved being pregnant, I loved the experience of you know, everything. But it was so painful because the baby was pushing up against this fibroid. And then, of course, I had to have the C-section because she couldn't get out. Anyway, fast forward, not to drone on about myself, but but fast forward to now, uh, having taken hormone treatment, it grew back to the same size. So I had to have it removed. And sadly, it had to be cut out rather than you know, my, again, it was just so big and they were very worried about the blood and the danger and whatnot. Do you have any thoughts about that? Because, you know, we did do a show with the amazing Dr. Jennifer about fibroids and aging. And she sort of does both at John Hopkins, which is really exciting. But do you have any thoughts about that, about fibroids and what happens to us? And, and also around the sort of age that you go through menopause? What are some of the things that can happen to us? Like what just happened to me? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have so many thoughts on what you've just said. (laughs) So yeah. I mean, first off, I think it's great actually to have these brilliant women who are celebrities starting this, you know, advocacy. I think on a personal level for them, especially in their industry, aging has never been looked upon in a positive way. Right. And culturally, it's the same thing. I mean, it was funny the other day, I I have younger girls and I was reading them some books and I'm like, oh my gosh, every one of these Disney type of movies and books portrays this, you know, older woman and she's evil, right? She's a horrible, horrible person. (laughs) You know, think about it. You have, you know, um, uh, everything. You have Sleeping Beauty, right? You have the older woman, right? Who obviously is jealous of Sleeping Beauty's Aurora's, right? Looks. You have even, you know, Hansel and Gretel, obviously. She was an older woman and horrible. So I think that there's been this horrible stigma attached and, you know, aging has not been looked upon in a favorable light. So I think it's great to have these women out there who are, you know, doing beautiful things, right? It's really taking on the world. And yes, they're aging. We're all aging. And they are even more spectacular now as they've aged. So I think that that's a great thing. And that's where we need to start with kind of changing the the dialogue around aging, around menopause, around perimenopause, and all aspects of it. Yeah. Um, and what are some of the other things that can happen to you when you are going through menopause? Like, is there anything like with your skin or we've already listed the basics, right? Night sweats, vaginal dryness, mood swings, head fog. I mean, literally you can think that you're developing early stage dementia, right? Can't remember people's names, you know, things like that happen. Let's talk about aging for a second. What, like, what happens to your skin and your body on the outside? Is there anything that you can talk about there? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's estrogen receptors all over our body. And so it impacts kind of everything, essentially. Hair loss, too. I forgot about hair Hair loss. loss. So that's Mm -hmm. one thing that happens is that there's more hair loss, which is kind of multiple. That's kind of due to a couple of things. It's due to the change in the hormones. And as your estrogen declines, your body sort of views the predominant hormone in the body to be testosterone, your androgens. So because of that, you get more of that hair loss that happens. Also, the changes in hormones, you actually have a rise in cortisol, which is our stress hormone. So that's another reason why you can start having hair loss. Estrogen also affects collagen. So yeah, the skin starts to change, more wrinkles, drier skin, more laxity in the skin too. But there's other really kind of random symptoms that you wouldn't even necessarily think were related to to menopause or perimenopause and change in body odor, right? A lot of women are like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just taking me uh, a lot more deodorant to kind of stay on top of this. And that's one of the symptoms as well, which is fascinating. Our joints, estrogen acts as an anti-inflammatory in our joints. So with the lack of estrogen, a lot of women will say, I'm having a lot of more achy joints. Heart palpitations start to happen also. And all of these things get a little bit, you know, unnerving for women to go through because they end up saying, I'm having heart palpitations. They run to the cardiologist, concerned that they're having, you know, heart issues. It really does impact all of those things. And then the other things that are kind of less spoken about are the changes in the pelvic floor that happen. And, you know, the pelvic floor is kind of this hammock, I like to say, of muscles that hold up all of our organs. And as there's a decline of estrogen and as there's kind of loss of muscle, which happens with aging too, 
that there's also a decline of collagen, these muscles become much more weak. And during this time, a lot of these really kind of embarrassing symptoms happen for women. And women, it's very hard for them to communicate these symptoms and things like what's called a cystocele or a rectocele. And this is when the bladder or the rectum is kind of bulging down through the vagina. And women will say they feel pressure or it's difficult to go to the bathroom. Incontinence. Incontinence becomes a bigger thing during this time too because of the pelvic floor health and because of the lack of estrogen to the vagina and the vulva. And urinary frequency, like you mentioned, that's also another one that's due to it as well. Okay, so I now have a really good cheeky question. Uh-oh. So as <laughs> men age, their balls drop mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in like a horrible way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just things all start to like droop. And yep. it, it is a part of aging, right? Where everything just gravity takes place. And I was having a chat actually with, with a friend of mine the other day, and she's quite a bit older than me. We were talking about <laughs> pubic hair. And we were talking about laser hair removal, which I'm a fan of, by the way. And she was saying that her labia had completely drooped. Yep. Uh-huh. Now, is that a real thing, Suzanne? It's a real thing. Yes. Yes. What happens is that basically, you, you know, you, it's kind of, this is an awful analogy, but it's kind of like what happens to our faces, right? As we age, we lose fat in our face and you know, it's funny. A lot of women are like, oh, I went my entire life, you know, obsessing over the fact that my face was too round or this or that. And then you get older and you're losing that subcutaneous fat in your skin and you look older. And the same thing happens with the labia. You start actually losing that fat that kind of plumps up the labia. So, you know, similar to the scrotum, you actually get that kind of sagginess. Now, at Tara MD, do you do any of that? I actually did a show on labiaplasty. We don't. Yeah. You don't. Okay. No. And would you, you know, it's it, it's a scary thought and a horrible thought for me to mm-hmm. sort of mess with what you've got going on down there. But what are your thoughts on plastic surgery? I mean, before you answer, yeah, these are my thoughts on plastic surgery. I believe in self-love and self-confidence. And if you want to improve something on your body that makes you sad or bothers you or makes you embarrassed, I say do it with the right doctor and do your research. That's my thought, right? But everyone has different ideas. But you had mentioned surgery at the beginning of the discussion. And I'm curious to know if you also do that at your practice. We don't do any sort of cosmetic procedures at the practice. Now, my thoughts are the same as yours. I think that you want to make sure that you're in a good mental space when you're making decisions about any sort of cosmetic or plastic surgery and making sure that you really, you know, love yourself otherwise, right? You accept and love yourself. None of us are perfect. We all have our issues. But if it's something that despite, you know, everything else in your life just really still weigh on you and bother you and otherwise you're in a great mental space, absolutely. Absolutely. I think we feel the same way on that. Some people overdo it. And I really, truly believe that you need a good therapist before you go and do anything. Body dysmorphia is a real thing and it's rampant. I just did a show on mental health and, you know, one in four girls obviously have eating disorders and ADHD and so, so many issues. But one of my next shows is going to be solely about plastic surgery. And 
you know, the dangers, especially the sort of age, I think women are really thinking about doing, you know, the, the mama makeover. makeover. Yeah, the, yeah mm-hmm. the body makeover. You know, once you've had your children, you get saggy skin. I mean, all of that. So I think that's interesting. Now, I want to spend the next few minutes talking about, I have a question for you. So, you know, you are a very well-known, fantastic doctor, gynecologist, menopause expert. You're based in New York. What is your vision for the future? What impact do you want to have, not just in New York, but everywhere? And I know we're going to talk about that on our panel in April, but what do you want to see in five to 10 years? Like, What sort of impact do you want to have? Uh, the big global aspirations. I mean, I when I started Tara MD, my goal is to really change the way that women's health is is approached and done, and kind of obviously doing it on like a microcosm right now in regards to just having the solo practice that I have. But the hope is that you really kind of really educate women, really empower women to take responsibility for their health, well being, to have the knowledge to really navigate every aspect of their life, and to kind of break, this is very negative, but to kind of break with the more draconian nature of medicine. And what I mean by that is that it just sort of seems that the way that most physicians are and the way we've been trained to be is that we tell a woman or patient what she should do. And it's always obviously traditional outcomes. And if somebody has sort of a different feeling on how they want to approach their body, it's frowned upon. It's, you know, against medical advice on how they're approaching things. And I think that if we, you know, encourage the studies to be able to have the evidence to guide women that there are all kinds of ways of approaching your health, and this is the evidence behind this approach, and this is the evidence behind this approach, and you choose which way you want to go with how you manage your body, but choosing something that's effective and safe within the different you know, realms of options. So I hope to kind of really change by being someone who specialized in traditional, integrative, and functional, really change the way that medicines approach for women. And you know, obviously I do one-on-ones, but I also do these workshops in the hopes that you know, at a much more kind of affordable price point to get the education, to get the knowledge, to be able to go back to their doctors and really have that conversation. Yeah. So, you know, you and I have chatted and we've got big plans and I I just want to put it out there what the sort of global state of affairs is and what my vision is, hopefully in partnership with you and the other doctors who are specializing in menopause. I think there's two problems. One is the medical community is not trained up enough like you are, right? They don't have your knowledge. So I think in the United States or in England, where I come from, or, you know, the West, where people can afford good health care, right? It's covered under insurance. You can go, but you're still, you you don't know what to do, right? You, I didn't know what to do. I work in healthcare. I did not know what to do. So I had to go and do the research and figure it out. And eventually I found a, you know, a specialist and they were about as much help as a can of beans. So there's two problems. One is the medical community needs to get trained up as to what to recommend for traditional and non-traditional methods. 
Then the other side of the equation is the awareness. As in, once the doctors have been trained up, like we need to do more of what we're already doing, right? This advocacy, this storytelling, podcasts like this, panels like we're going to do, workshops like you do, right? All that needs to happen. So I think we agree on that, right? Those are the things that need to happen. But then you have the rest of the world. And, you know, this is what I've spent my life doing is is working uh, in the developing world with marginalized communities of women who barely have access to contraception, let alone information about, about menopause. And so then what needs to happen is we need to have telehealth where people like yourself and other experts who really understand can be the trainer of the trainers. So it can then be translated and made culturally relevant and it be integrated into the existing infrastructure in these clinics that we're affiliated to around the world. And so I just wanted to sort of say that that's my ambition. And then the last problem, which is a big one, is donors, right? Philanthropists, donors, like you've got institutions, bilateral donors like USAID, which is basically the the US government aid office. You've got DFID, which is the British aid office. And then you've got foundations like Bill and Melinda Gates, who I've worked with extensively and, and other amazing foundations. Not one of them has been asked for a grant for menopausal women living around the world. Not one, ever. So I think we need to make that happen, yeah. basically, and get the information out there to marginalized communities. Also in domestically, right? Like there's women living in DC who don't have health insurance, who, you know, can't even go to a doctor and get the help that they need. So that's my vision. That's a great vision. And <laughs> I think we should get on with it. Yeah. I think we need to add one more layer to that. The last layer is, is research. You know, it's, it's historically women have not been involved in research studies. And that's always been sort of the gap that's existed in the research world, especially, I mean, the research on menopause, there's just, there's not much, honestly, there's small studies, they're not done right. So really kind of putting some more focus, financial efforts, grants into research is going to really move that mark too and get that information out there. I love it. We have so much to do. I know. We got to get going on this now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've got so much to do. But with our tribe, with our menopause tribe, I feel like we can do it. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you so much for all the wonderful work that you do. For anyone wanting to get any more information on Dr. Suzanne, you can find it Tara MD, which is her clinic in New York, or you can book a consultation through thebodyagency.com where you will also find her and a link to her practice. So thank you again, Suzanne. I look forward to seeing you in April and I can't wait to create the crusade <laughs> with you. Yes, let's go. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. 
We are actually partnering up with Vital Voices to get much needed dignity kits to the refugees in Ukraine. Girls and women do not have access to personal hygiene products that keep them safe and healthy. Please go to thebodyagency.com to donate a dignity kit today. Be sure also to sign up for our email list at The Body Agency for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotional code PODCAST10 to get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening.